0: Welcome again. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, As Sharon mentioned, I direct the Relationship IQ program at Pepperdine. And Relationship IQ is a program uh, that helps young adults strengthen healthy relationships. So we cover a variety of different topics, relationship with God, family, friends, dating, communication, conflict, conflict, boundaries, sex. And our newest material is on technology and relationships, which is what I'm going to talk about today. Relationship IQ, we have a curriculum, a small group curriculum that is made for leaders like you who are ministering to young adults. And you're welcome to check out those modules on the table after our session today. And you'll notice that you have a Boon Center sign up card in your seat. I invite you to fill this out, and I will collect these at the end and quickly draw one name, and someone will get to. Um, have the intentionally friends, relationship IQ curriculum. So even if you're already on the Boom Center mailing list, you've signed up, but you want to enter the drawing, go ahead and fill this out again. So today we're going to focus on technology and relationships, particularly looking at how you can help young adults redeem their relationship with social media. And we will look at um, how social media impacts relationship with Friends, family, romantic relationships, relationship with God, and relationship with self. So those are the five relational areas that we are going to talk about today. As I've spent time researching this topic, I've become more and more aware of how important it is to help young adults um, interact with social media in a better way. So let me share with you kind of why this is the case. As you may or may not be aware, the rates of anxiety, depression, and loneliness are greatly increasing in the young adult population today. According to Gene Twenge's research, the year 2012 was influential um, as a marked point in time when those rates really increased. Higher and higher levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness in young adults, starting especially the year 2012. So you may, may say, why 2012, what was special or significant about that year? That was the year when most people, those young adults in particular, had smartphones. Um, so then you may say, what's special about the smartphone that's creating anxiety, depression, and loneliness? And I would submit to you that the smartphone is changing the way young adults do relationship. And the smartphone is allowing young adults to do relationship digitally Um, which is often a diminished, atrophied form of relationship that does not lead to thriving. And hence you have higher rates of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. So all to say, as we talk about helping young adults redeem their relationship with social media, this may very much improve their emotional health and allow them to not be as anxious, depressed, and lonely. Find my clicker here. Okay. So the relational state of the union for young adults is one of a connected presence. So young adults have known a digital world in which they expect to be able to be connected and in relationship with each other, even when they are physically absent from each other. Communication technologies like the smartphone and what the smartphone supports, social media, text, um, chats, video messages, all these types of things create a web of communication. And this is really different than say 20 years ago even. 20 years ago, if you were in the physical absence of a person, you were probably relationally absent from that person as well. Versus now, we can be physically absent from each other and relationally present. I can be flying across the country and I can text my husband that there's not a relational absence even when I'm on a plane. For instance, my husband and I actually dated long distance the whole way from Missouri to California. And we were able to build and support a healthy relationship in each other's physical absence largely through communication technologies. This is a very different state that young adults are living in. Um, They expect a connected presence with each other because a connected presence is possible. And this expectation is most heightened around romantic relationships. So as you are going to be prepared to help young adults redeem their relationship with social media, the first step is helping young adults appreciate what is a healthy relationship to begin with. So if we're going to evaluate the impact of social media and communication technologies on relationships, we need to have a clear sense and have young adults have a clear sense of what a healthy relationship even is to begin with. So we're gonna look at a healthy relationship from the lens of intimacy, interdependence, secure attachment, and developing one's internal world. So that's where we're headed here to understand healthy relationships. So we're gonna ask the question, is technology good or bad for relationships? Is technology functioning like the tower of Babel, taking us away from God? Or is technology functioning like Noah's Ark, offering safety and protection? And through this conversation, we'll see that there's both a good and bad possibilities as technology impacts relationship. So first, healthy relationships are characterized by intimacy. When young adults hear the word intimacy, they often think about sexual intimacy first. But of course, intimacy is broader than that. That intimacy involves our minds, our cognition, our emotions, and our spiritual life. That we can be known mentally, emotionally, and spiritually by each other. Intimacy involves a close association or a deep understanding of the good, the bad, and the ugly of who we are. To be intimate with a person is to be known fully, um, even in ways that we aren't pleased with about ourselves. And healthy intimacy and in relationship with other people begins with intimacy with God. So as we know, God knows us as people most fully. And he knows every piece about who we are even more than we know ourselves. And as God knows us fully and fully accepts us, he gives us security to be intimate with other people. Because we are fully known and accepted, by God through Christ, we can risk intimacy being known by other people um, such that even if someone does not accept us, rejects us, it will be painful, it will hurt. But having intimacy in relationship with God um, is primary. And that allows us to withstand if connection does not go well, intimacy does not go well with a person. So God's love is the foundation for intimacy. And intimacy engages both the internal and external worlds. Some of you may be familiar with this language, others not. Um, So when I say internal world, I'm referring to a person's thoughts, feelings, beliefs, ideas, and values. What's going on inside their mind is not necessarily readily visible. Whereas the external world uh, refers to a person's appearance, image, actions, or experiences, uh, which is more observable. present. So to be intimate with the person is to be known both in the internal and external worlds. Healthy relationships also involve secure attachment. So what is attachment? I'm sure some of you are familiar that it's uh, a relational style, a relational connection um, that is built from infancy and childhood in one's family of origin or with one's caretakers. Uh, But the good news is that even if someone leaves home with an insecure attachment or an anxious way of relating with other people, that a secure attachment can be learned. So young adults can learn um, to interact with each other out of secure attachment. It's helpful to understand secure attachment as being characterized by both people in a relationship being available, responsive, and engaged with each other. So when I say available, I mean that both people are accessible to each other. The relational contacts can happen, whether it's in the flesh, face-to-face, or through digital space. The people are available to each other. They respond to each other. They reply. They get back in touch. So if I leave a friend a voicemail, my friend returns my call in an appropriate amount of time. They're responsive to me. Or if I make a comment or having a conversation and I express something, the friend responds back to me. Um, we're engaged in relationships when we initiate with each other. So it's not a, two or a one-way street where one person in the relationship is doing all of the initiation and reaching out. Secure relationships are characterized by both people engaging with each other or initiating relational contact. And finally, secure attachments are characterized by playfulness, love, acceptance, curiosity, empathy, and truth. So when you're in a secure relationship, there's a sense of safety that you're able to engage and play with each other. Love, you are able to sacrifice for each other. Acceptance, you are able to be in relationship with the person without demanding that they change. Doesn't mean they don't need to change or they wouldn't benefit from changing, but you're able to enter in and be in relationship with them. Curious, you're interested to get to know this person, who they are. Empathy, you're able to connect emotionally and appreciate what is going on for them in their emotional world. And finally, truth, being willing to challenge and share truth with another person, accompanied by love, of course. Truth and love together. Healthy relationships also involve interdependence. So this is not independence where a person is not Um, relying on other people at all or is disconnected from people neither is interdependent codependence which is characterized by people feeling like they need to fixate or rescue others or to be fixate or rescue themselves so I want to do a quick demonstration for you about um, interdependence to help this concept be clearer so I will need a volunteer Somebody who's willing to come to the front for just a moment? Looks like you might be interested. Great. Let's come this way over here. I'm going to give you a visualization. Um, and actually, if you'll put your papers down, you're going to need both hands for this. And I'm going to need both hands. I'm about to put the microphone down. Um, so let me give you a visualization first of codependency. Okay, if you'll put your hands me this way, put your hands up and then take a couple steps backwards. Okay, so this position that we're in right here demonstrates codependency. What does this feel like for you? Feels like I'm gonna fall. Feels like you're gonna fall. And as I move, as I have experiences in life, what's happening for you? It's destabilizing. It's Destabilizing. You're yeah. deeply impacted. Mm-hmm. This is not a very sustainable position. This is not comfortable. To stand here like this all day would be very tiresome Mm -hmm. and fatiguing. So what would happen if I dropped my hands right now? I would catch myself, but I would start to fall. You would start to fall. You're gonna be deeply impacted. So in codependent relationships, there's a heightened level of dependency, where there's a heightened level of impact where people can experience each other as a threat to the other, but they're so dependent on another person's behaviors and choices. It's a very uncomfortable position. Now, go ahead and take a step forward. Um, sometimes what can happen is in the pressure, um, in the pressure points of the hands here demonstrates um, what some people interpret as, oh, we're really close in relationship because our hands are pressed against each other. But this is actually a dependent state. When you look at our bodies, our bodies actually aren't close together but it's this kind of this um, pressured closeness of the hands. Now, if we take some steps forward, and we're in this position, I would say this is an illustration of interdependence, and that he is impacted by my movement here, but my actions are not a threat to him. So if I drop my hands, you're fine, it's okay. We could stand here a really long time, this is a comfortable position, and actually we have greater intimacy, our bodies are closer together in this position, but because we're not dependent on each other. We're taking responsibility for our own weight. We're standing on our own feet, so we're taking responsibility for our lives. Um, Now, if you'll turn around. So we both turn back to back. This would illustrate independence and that we're not impacted by each other. We don't know what's going on with the other person. We're very disconnected and there's not so much intimacy. There's no face-to-face that's happening here. Thank you so much. So you can keep um, this image here in mind when we talk about interdependence. my clicker here. Oops. Okay. So we are going to move to our first um, of five different areas of looking at technology and relationships and relationships with friends first. Um, So social media, we know that young adults are spending a lot of time both both actively and passively on social media, actively posting, leaving comments, um, clicking likes, and also passively scrolling through their feeds to review other people's lives. Um, Lots of different options for social media, Pinterest, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Now, all of the connections afforded by social media can be really positive. In fact, young adults are able to be available to each other. So remember, available is one of our terms for secure attachment. Young adults are available, they're accessible to each other through social media. And I saw this fall um, a news story that illustrates what can be a life-saving value of connection through Facebook. So there was a couple who was on vacation an American couple in Bali, and they had rented a scooter, they were coming down a hill, and the scooter had a malfunction, the brakes went out, and they spun off into a ravine on the side of the road. No one saw them. And the man had his phone, and his phone battery was dying, but he got on Facebook and posted one word, help. And a friend of his in the U.S. saw that, used um, Facebook's capacity to call a person, through Facebook, called the friend, and the friend, you know, who was injured, offered a couple words of pain. And you know, the, the other friend in the US said, Where are you? Will you drop a pin? So he was able to drop a pin and post that on Facebook, and other friends in his social network saw that pin, worked together. One person had a contact with the consulate of Bali, and they were able to send out a search crew. Uh, meanwhile, the man's phone had died and they were found, they really probably would have died without the cell phone and without this man's connection to friends to be able to bring about a search party for them. So these connections can be really powerful and important. In my own life, um, I was in a situation where I needed a roommate in February. Well, February is not a particularly great time to be in need for a roommate. There's very little housing transition happening at that time. So I posted on Facebook, I need a roommate. And a man from my small group the year before saw and He said, hey, we're giving our intern a full-time position. She's going to be looking for a place to live. I think y'all would be you know, great living together. And she became my roommate. That was really, really helpful to me. And without social media, I wouldn't have been able to make that connection. And ironically, that friend, um, she worked for the St. Louis Rams football team. And she moved out to LA when the Rams moved out here, and I moved out here at the same time. So she's a friend that I have from St. Louis in LA, all because of that Facebook connection. So points of accessibility and networking that social media affords can be really important in young adults' lives. Yet um, social media has a heightened emphasis on appearance. So young adults feel a pressure that their lives have to appear happy, fun, or perfect at all times. Well, how do they accomplish this? By taking lots and lots of pictures and choosing the best ones to post, spending time curating the image, and improving the image. Um, And what happens as a result of these so-called perfect images being posted is that young adults end up portraying a life that is somewhat fake and not true to who they are. Um, A student at Pepperdine shared with me this story and she said, I went to my sorority function, and I posted a picture at the end of the evening that said, we left it all out on the dance floor, You know, communicating that we had this awesome, fabulous evening. And she said, the truth was, I left crying, that I had a really difficult time relating with one of my friends and was really hurt at this event, but she felt the pressure to portray her evening a certain way. Um, and so people then view her life as though that was a wonderful evening when that was really not the case for her that is not what was most true of her evening so the appearance focused basis of social media can negatively impact intimacy and being known in the good the bad and the ugly and we're only portraying what is good fear of missing out some of you may be familiar with this term fomo fear of missing out Um, as young adults see the events of their friends lives um, they can fear missing out or experience sorrow and pain that they weren't invited to certain events. It can even be difficult if a young adult was invited to an event, but they weren't able to go, and then they see the pictures after the fact, um, and there's a sense of their life is not as good, they have missed out. Um, now, when you and I were growing up, we may have gone back to school and we may have heard, oh, this party happened and we weren't invited, That's a different experience to hear about it in the presence of other friends than to be home alone seeing images of things that you've missed out on. This can be a much stronger experience, to actually see the images of what you've missed out on. Shallow relationships. Um, Social media supports very short-form communications. And this short-form communication can short-circuit being known in one's internal world. So for example, what could happen? If a young adult posts uh, experiences from their weekend, let's say they went to Disney World, and then they run into their friends later, their friends have seen um, those pictures from Disney World over the weekend, they can think, I don't even need to ask my friend about how their weekend was, I already know they went to Disney World. And then there's less face-to-face personal conversation around life experiences, because young adults feel like they already know because they've seen images of these experiences say, over the weekend. Um, the images don't portray a person's internal world. They only portray the external world. So young adults can be encouraged to use curiosity to ask questions about the pictures that they've seen of their friends on social media and say, hey, tell me the story of what went on you know, during this experience. What was fun? What was difficult about that time? Um, what were you feeling? How were things in your relationships, etc." Sherry Turkle wrote a book called Alone Together, and she coined this term to describe a dynamic um, whereby young adults may be in the same space together, together, but functionally, relationally, they're alone because they're absorbed or preoccupied with their smartphones. So they're together in a shared space, but actually alone. Um, I've seen this in the classroom. The moment I say, okay, it's time for a break, um, students will pull out their smartphones. Instead of connecting to each other, others so they become alone in this space that could be used for connections. This happens at mealtime, phones are pulled out. This happens during watching movies together, and you may think, well, when you watch a movie, you know you're not necessarily having dialogue. Most people like it to be quiet when you're watching a movie. But if you're watching a movie with someone who's on their cell phone at the same time, there's a diminished sense of a shared experience together. Um, even when conversation is not expected at that time. Uh, Young adults are preoccupied with documenting their experiences. And young adults will say, you know, sometimes I've devised plans or a certain picture or to go to a pretty place just to be able to document it. And it's not so much about having the actual experience, but I want to document this. Uh, So the focus on documenting experience renders young adults alone together. And it's been said um, in this way, that the quality of experience is beginning to take second place to the quantity of proof that we collect. So it matters more that we can show people where we've been than we've had the experience ourselves. So technology can highly diminish intimacy with friends. Yet, it can create a heightened expectation for availability, responsiveness, and engagement. And you may remember those terms um, as part of a secure attachment, available, responsive, engaged. You think this is a good thing. It is good for people to be available, and responsive, and engaged. But because people are so available to each other through different communication technologies, young adults can become dependent on each other to respond and engage with each other, but they feel like they can't make a decision or have an, their own thought without the input of someone else. So a very heightened level of anxiety, I'm sorry, of availability, responsiveness, and engagement can actually lead to codependency and being in a state of need from other people. Ways forward to help young adults improve their relationships with friends. As I mentioned, using uh, curiosity to move from the external world to the internal world. So as you're relating with young adults and you have access to um, their Facebook, if you're friends with them on Facebook or Instagram, to model asking them questions that begin with what you saw on social media to enter into deeper relationship with them and encouraging them to do the same with their peers. Using something that I call the truthfulness test before posting to encourage young adults to ask, is what I'm about to post, does this demonstrate a true experience or does this really misrepresent my weekend, my evening in the way that I mentioned that the, um, the girl posted that she left everything out on the dance floor and that was a great misrepresentation of her evening. Um, taking what I call the relational fitness challenge encouraging young adults to get a baseline measure of how much time they're spending on social media. And phone applications are set up to be able to give students this data. And then asking them to cut that amount of time in half and spend half the amount of time they normally do on social media for 15 days for two weeks. And then at the end of that two weeks to cut that time in half again. And it's great to encourage young adults to do this together in a group and to share their experiences of what it's like, what's great and what's challenging by letting go of social media. Um, Also encouraging young adults to spend more time face-to-face. So to come up with a measure of, okay, how often am I actually having one-on-one conversations with friends? Let me see if I can double that um, for the next two weeks and then evaluate what was that experience like. At Pepperdine, the chaplain's office puts on an unplugged experience, a weekend retreat where students are um, asked to turn in their cell phones and then have no social media contact. I remember um, in a restroom, actually, overhearing a girl say, you know, this has been such a relief not to have my phone. I actually am dreading getting my phone back. So young adults can be surprised when they're encouraged to um, diminish their use of social media that it can be a really positive experience. Our next category, technology and relationship with self. Biological impacts of technology use. This is just a short snapshot, there are many. Um, Research is showing that the brain is changing. Um, The smartphone allows us to multitask and shift our attention so much because of the pings, notifications, and alerts we get on our phone and research is showing that the areas of the brain associated with attentional control and focus are diminishing. This is significant. We're wearing out our pleasure centers. Um, Our dopamine response is in an overstimulated um, zone by being exposed to so many images, videos, and games from technology that people are losing their ability to experience real pleasure from smaller, um, positive experiences of life, like seeing a sunset, enjoying a good meal, holding a significant other's hand. and they're not finding the pleasure that they could because their dopamine uh, pleasure centers are overstimulated by technology. Less physical activity simply because people are are absorbed with their phones. The Google effect, um, we're learning that we are memorizing less, our brains are holding on to less information because we know that we can find it on Google. How many phone numbers do you know today compared to how many phone numbers you knew when you were younger? Easy example there. Loss of sleep for many reasons. Many of you are familiar with the blue light effect from phones that makes it harder for the body to be at rest and to fall asleep. But also time that is lost by scrolling through social media before bedtime and all of a sudden an hour and a half of sleep is gone. Or occasions um, where you're scrolling through social media and you stumble upon something very heavy or sad news from a friend or a current event or something and then your mind is left buzzing with that before going to sleep. Psychological impacts, as I started our conversation today mentioning higher levels of anxiety and depression. Um, This is associated with decreased relationship quality. Um, Young adults' ability to develop their identity is stunted because of the great focus on image that they feel like who they are is how they're portrayed and the number of inputs that they get on those images. So they are putting out images on social media all the time and paying attention to how many likes they're getting in response. And that's a lot of input on identity, which is confusing and slowing down the process of identity development. Young adults have a great difficulty of being alone, um, experiencing loneliness. So if their relationships, uh, the quality of intimacy in their relationships is diminished, they're not being known in their internal worlds by their friends, when they are by themselves, they're less able to reflect and be with their own thoughts and um, observe their own life. So if they're only relating in their external worlds, they're alone and they feel like they're lonely, it's not okay to be alone for a moment uh, because they're not practiced in being in contact with their internal worlds. Addictions. Um, We know that... Poor relational quality makes people more vulnerable to addictions, but also the smartphone itself makes more addictions readily available. It's easier to engage in um, shopping too much because if you go to the mall, you can only carry so many bags. Well, there's no difficulty ordering any number of things online. So being addicted to shopping, being addicted to gaming, being addicted to pornography, um, being addicted even to work through the smartphone, being addicted, you could say lowercase a addiction, be addicted to oneself, a sense of narcissism by taking pictures of oneself, selfies. Um, So again, this is uh, really concerning that relationships are breaking down, this makes us more vulnerable to addictions and yet addictions are also much more accessible through the smartphone. Okay, Um, So what's a better way forward in relationship uh, with self? Reclaiming the first and last hours of the day as smartphone-free, social media-free space. Going deeper, learning to observe, make observations of one's surroundings, Um, reading good books where characters are developed and the characters' internal worlds are known, and being able to appreciate life Um, with that level of depth that can be offered in good books. Learning to reflect, to spend time considering one's thoughts and feelings about one's day, and journaling, giving words to one's um, reflections. Also taking what I call solitude sojourns, being willing to go for a drive in the car without listening to music, without picking up one's phones to text. Obviously, that's physically dangerous. but good to take an emotional space from social media too in the car, not listening to music on walks, not taking one's phone with them while taking a walk, but really actually having space by oneself without being preoccupied with inputs from the phone. Technology and romantic relationships. Romantic relationships are changing based on the smartphone. There's a number of new dynamics that young adults encounter. Um, first round, what it is to go public in a relationship. Um, going public is more about being documented in social media together than it is about being seen in public. Um, so young adults are wrestling with, is it okay to post a picture of my significant other and I, are we ready for this in a relationship? Um, is this significant other gonna be okay? How are they gonna feel if I post a picture of myself um, and the other person online? But also, even more importantly, is Facebook's status update, relationship status, actually tagging the significant other um, and making it very clear that you're in a relationship. So young adults are working through these challenges and making decisions on what it is to go public um, in the digital space. Uh, Young adults often feel a pressure for their relationship to look really awesome and fun. Uh, A student I was speaking with at Pepperdine shared around um, having posted this great picture of her and her boyfriend that made it look like they were having a great time. And she said, truthfully, I wasn't sure if the relationship was going to be ending in the next 24 hours. Um, But feeling this pressure, the relationship has to look awesome. Infidelity. Uh, A third of divorce cases now have the word Facebook in them somewhere that Facebook uh, it's become a great source of infidelity that folks are. It's very easy to reconnect with someone um, from the past. What's interesting um, is a young adult's the, the state of attachment can be revealed through young adults' responses around social media and computers. So let me give you an example for of this. Let's say a couple is hanging out and... Um, the guy returned from using the restroom. And he comes back in the room, and his girlfriend closes her computer screen. Does he interpret that as, oh, good, she's going to give me my full and undivided attention, or she's hiding something? So how that ambiguous ambiguous stimuli of closing the computer screen is interpreted can reveal the state of attachment in the relationship. Gottman's bids for connections. Um, young adults can be helped to appreciate um, ways that the relationship is built and ways that they are reaching for each other. So Gottman is a psychologist who focuses on behavior, and he has come up with this concept called bids for connection. And um, this is similar to attachment. So um, a bid for connection, he would say, is any attempt for a person to be acknowledged, get attention, or affirmation or have relational contact with a person. So this is the initiation. Um, This is the engagement, an available, responsive, and engaged of secure attachment, reaching out. How a person responds to that bid for connection can be categorized as moving toward, away, or against. And this is happening in the digital space. But let me first give an example of a a non-digital example. So if I am going for a walk, with uh, my husband, and I say, hey, I really like those shutters on that house over there. I have made a bid for connection. I know that I like the shutters on the house, but I don't necessarily have to verbalize the fact that I know that I like the shutters on the house. I'm verbalizing it because I'm wanting to have a point of connection. I'm wanting to have a relationship over the fact that I like these shutters on the house. So I am making a bid for connection. He could respond to me and say, oh, I like those shutters too. Or, oh, I like those shutters on that house over there. And that would exemplify him moving towards me and responding well. Or he could say nothing at all, and that would be him moving away, just kind of not engaging the bid for connection. Or he could move against and say, wow, those shutters are really terrible. How would you like something that looks like that? these type bids of connection are also happening in the digital space. Anytime a person sends an emoticon to another person, blowing a kiss on text, or a smiley face, this is a bid for connection, where they're asking for a relationship to be responded to. A Snapchat is a bid for connection. A Facebook message, a comment on a picture is a bid for connections. So for young adults to appreciate that these small uh, points of relational contact are meaningful and significant in developing the character of attachment in the relationship, whether or not they're responding well and moving towards each other. Fubbing and technoference. So, Fubbing so is a new term that basically means being snubbed by someone's phone. So, if someone is choosing their phone instead of relational contact with you, you've been Fubbed. Um, we're most sensitive to this often in romantic relationships, and this can happen around times of grieving. So let's say a girlfriend's coming over to her boyfriend's apartment, and the boyfriend is ab- uh, absorbed in video games, and he doesn't get up to greet her properly. She's going to feel a sense of hurt that she's been um, fubbed, phone or technoference in the case um, with games. Research studies show that when fubbing and occur relationship satisfaction is decreased. And in fact, uh, studies demonstrate that the mere presence of a cell phone on a table during a meal or dialogue will change the quality of what is talked about in that conversation. That people will be less vulnerable and less open when a phone is just sitting on the table because they're aware that they could be interrupted at any moment and their significant other's attention could go away from them. Sexual interactions have changed with the advent of communication technologies. Um, It's very common for leaders of young adults when the topic of sexing or cyber sex comes up to react strongly, oh no, this is just terrible, you can't do this, this is wrong. Um, But that type of response isn't necessarily going to be helpful for young adults to think about the impact of sexing or cyber sex on their relationship. So a way to have a more helpful conversation is to help young adults appreciate that sexting um, demonstrates a certain heightened level of intimacy that is out of place for their actual relationship. And when there's a heightened level of intimacy in one dimension, this can lead to increased anxiety. So in the case of sexting sexual images that are documented, positions a person to be dependent on the other person to not inappropriately share those images. um, And having a heightened level of intimacy and dependence on the other person to not share can bring about a really uncomfortable situation. So helping a young adult appreciate um, what's happening in the realm of of out-of-proportion intimacy can be a way forward in this conversation. with cybersex, young adults can think, hey, well, I'm not gonna get an STD, I'm not gonna get pregnant, you know, what's the big deal? But to help them appreciate that cybersex involves intimacy of the internal world, the emotional world, um, and there are emotional repercussions for engaging in cybersex. In relationship IQ, we like to say there's not a condom for your brain, that your brain is still involved even if there aren't physical consequences. And that can lead to a more productive conversation versus just freaking out and saying this is a terrible thing. Online dating. Um, Online dating can be a really helpful way where adults are made to be accessible and available to each other uh, if they are wanting to date. However, uh, there's a phenomenon where some people in online dating share too much, and they have a heightened level of intimacy from the get go, or they share too little. Uh, They can feel anonymous, and this can support them sharing too much, having too much intimacy at the beginning, so helping young adults choose incremental intimacy in the realm of online dating. Um, Young adults can um, help to assess the progression of the relationship by paying attention to, is this person available and responsive and engaged with me? Is this relationship being developed on a two-way street or is this a one-way street relationship where I'm you know, doing all of the work of the relationship? So that can be a helpful way of just kind of monitoring the development of the relationship at the beginning in an online space. Better ways forward in romantic relationships. Discussing, discussing expectations around social media use. Um, for a person to ask, hey, have there been times where you felt ignored? Um, because I've been distracted using my phone. And that invites the other partner to ask them the same question back and just say, you know, how is this going? Um, Or in more committed relationships, um, having conversations around connections with um, previous love interests and boundaries and communication with the opposite sex could be helpful. Some young adults develop their relationships online. I'm thinking of a young adult that I know Um, a gentleman at church, and his relationship uh, was developed online. And so it was important for him to cultivate the relationship outside of digital space um, to get to know this person more fully. And finally, helping young adults to use communication technologies to foster a secure attachment, to help them become available, responsive, and engaged with each other, demonstrating playfulness, love, acceptance, curiosity, empathy, and truth. Technology in relationship with family. Oops. Um, there we go. Sometimes uh, parents can feel like, I have allowed my student, my young adult, great freedoms. I'm allowing them to go study abroad, they're hanging out with their friends at night, they're able to use their car and go to a certain place and they think, you know, I've really given my young adult a lot of independence and freedom. Well the fact that the parent is so readily available through the phone can mean that the independent is actually masquerading as codependence, And the young adult and their parent are in a codependent relationship because the child is constantly checking in with the parent um, asking for their input and opinion even as the parent feels like, oh I've given them this freedom to leave um, the home. A colleague of mine gave this example. She said she was advising a student and helping this young man think through his major and his career choices, and in the midst of this advising appointment, the young man said, hold on, can I call my mom and get her input? That because a parent is so readily available through the phone, young adults can be relying on their parents um, in a way that their own interdependence is being stunted. Social media secrecy. Uh, very common complaint of parents, my young adult won't allow me to be their friend on Facebook. I can't follow them on Instagram. So the parent is having the experience of, my young adult child is not available to me. I'm not, they're not accessible, I can't reach them. But the young adult is feeling like, hey, this is equivalent to mom and dad wanting to hang out with me in the living room as I hang out with my friends. So parents can struggle to appreciate that the digital space is where young adults are hanging out and it's really no different than if the parent were accompanying them to go out to dinner or go to the movies or wherever. Um, So if young adults can be able to validate the parent's experience and say, hey, I know you want to be connected to me, mom or dad. I know it's important that I'm available to you. Hey, what if I share with you some of my pictures or videos um, that I post online, what if I share with them to use separately, uh, the parent can appreciate being made, uh, the young adult making themselves available in that way. So tuning into the core issue of the parent longing for connection with the young adult and helping the young adult validate um, the parent's desire can be a better way forward. And again, helping the parent appreciate um, the meaning of being a friend on Facebook. Feels like you're welcoming the parent just into their hangout space. So I think there can be a, a better way forward there with um, helpful communication around the heart of the issue. Oops. The phenomenon of technoference is also very prominent in families, and parents can be at fault for this, being absorbed on their smartphones just as much as young adults can. You see this often on vacations, particularly car trips. Uh, people can have the mindset that, oh, we're just traveling together, we're not doing anything. So this is a fine time for me to be absorbed on my phone. I'm just passing time. Um, But actually, that space in a car ride on a family vacation is a really good opportunity for intimacy and connection, and that people aren't necessarily, they don't have to be preoccupied doing something else. And so to help young adults um, transform the space of being preoccupied with their phones into moments of sharing, where they would learn to say, hey, This is a great time I can share my pictures with mom and dad. This is a great time I could play them my favorite song or a funny video that I saw on YouTube and have relationship um, over those pieces of social media. Or the young adult can learn to ask their siblings to share similarly or their parents to share similarly, to really look to redeem vacation space, car space, Um, as a time of greater connection versus just saying, oh, we're not doing anything, so I can totally absorb my phone, and this is fine. So that the family doesn't end up alone together. Better ways forward, using group text, video calls, and digital pictures to foster intimacy um, can be really helpful for families to connect um, in this way, especially when they're spread out across the country, to have a shared space together. Encouraging young adults to delay getting parental input until they've come up with their own opinion, idea, or or way forward to let them make a choice and then seek out input from others. And As I mentioned, transforming alone time together into opportunities for intimacy. Our fifth uh, relational topic is relationship with God. So how is technology impacting relationship with God? Technology fuels a consumer culture. So young adults today are consuming information through Google and YouTube. They're consuming entertainment through Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. They're consuming stuff through Amazon Prime, things that can be delivered in just a moment. Um, And they're consuming relationships through social media watching the history of other people's lives and taking it in through their news feeds. So this mode of consumption can be brought before God where people start to relate with God as a vending machine. What can I get from him instead of connecting with God? So to help young adults recognize when they're coming to God just as a vending machine and say, what is to actually connect and bring my heart before God? Also, ch- encouraging young adults to choose God over Google. That's kind of the way I say this. So if the young adult has a concern, I'm thinking of a student who applied to law school, and she was desperate to figure out when she would hear from this school about the admissions decision. So she spent all this time searching Google to try to get some shred of an idea of when she would hear from this university. Um, she really didn't come up with anything And she realized, you know, I could have been bringing my heart and my fears and my concerns about this before God instead of bringing my emotion to Google. So to help young adults learn to spend time in prayer before Google searches or after Google searches, and it's not that seeking information is bad. Um, I'm sure that many of you all can think of a time where you were wondering about some possible medical diagnosis or something physically going on with your body and you spent time searching on Google. This is fine, uh, but what is it to also bring our hearts in those moments before God instead of just looking for information? Technology supports surface relationships, as we've said, that the heightened emphasis on image and appearance can take away from our ability to confess our sins before God. Well, if we're so invested in appearing good and happy and right. It makes it harder to transition and pay attention to the areas of our lives that aren't as we want and the ways that we sin and we do wrong and to bring them before God in confession. As we have little depth and relationship with other people online, just focused on the external world, it can be harder, again, to bring our internal world, our thoughts, beliefs, feelings, ideas, values, fears, concerns before God. Um, and making it a point to do this when it's not necessarily natural in the way that other relationships are functioning. Um, social media space is a very controlled space, a very curate, curated space, where young adults spend a lot of time you know, perfecting an image or writing out a comment in just, a, in just the right way or you know, taking 20 minutes to write two sentences to communicate it perfectly. Um, so in a relationship with God, it's less... Uh, it's harder for young adults to be open and vulnerable and spontaneous and in the moment with God. Technology fosters fast-paced, distracted, and unfocused lives. It's been said that we are addicted to distraction, uh, that we really like being preoccupied and not having space just to be with ourselves. Um, the repercussions of this is that we can struggle in our prayer lives and Bible reading space that we're in such a hurry up fast um, mode that it can be hard to spend time in prayer more than two minutes and that we lose interest in connection with God or we read through God's word so fast because we're so used to skimming digital content. Um, better ways forward. It's awesome that we have Bible applications that can offer us access to god's word in all different versions and translations so god's word is very accessible this is great um and what we know from studies is that people's comprehension of digital content is poorer than their comprehension of reading the same content on a printed piece of paper Um, so to help young adults slow down as they use bible apps um, to increase their comprehension and taking in what God's Word is saying. God's Word is very rich and complex and has so much to offer that it's, it's not a text to be skimmed when we're so used to skimming um, digital information. Um, resources online are awesome for Christian podcasts, um, sermons, worship music. Um, I've been watching some of the Bible Project videos, short summaries of all of the books of the Bible, um, and they're drawn out, and this can be really a helpful resource to build faith. And it's important that young adults not substitute these resources for real relationships in the body of Christ. Um, so to, to check in with them around actual relationships that they have in the body of Christ versus just using these resources to get around um, actual relationships with people at church. Oops. Uh, helpful reflection questions for young adults. Do my smartphone habits distract me from genuine communion with God? It's a big yes. Do my smartphone habits provide an easy escape from sober thinking about my death, the return of Christ, and eternal realities? Do my smartphone habits mute the sporadic leading of God's spirit in my life? And I think we can all um, relate with these questions, yes, in different ways. And Uh, One way of caring well for young adults is to share your own lives and experiences with them. So as you would take time to think through these questions for yourself yourself and being willing and able to share them with young adults can help them to acknowledge um, how these questions are functioning in their own lives. Better way forward, practicing the daily examine. It's on your handout, uh, five step process of strengthening deepening Relationship with God, a daily practice of reflecting on the day, connecting with God in prayer, reflecting on one's emotions, um, and also confession. Using phone reminders for connecting with God. Our phones are always with us, and young adults can be reminded to spend time with God. That structure can be very helpful. Um, Also, the structure of setting a timer for Bible reading or prayer time can help create space. For a young adult to relax and not feel like oh so much time is passing or how much time has passed and being distracted by that, but actually settle in um, to space with God, knowing that a timer is going to you know keep track of the time for them. And as I mentioned before, learning to pray before, or after anxiety-laden Google searches, and to be aware of am I bringing my anxiety to Google or God? Um, all right. So we've covered five different topics of technology impacting relationship with God, self, family, friends, and romantic relationships. And again, um, I hope that the foundation for appreciating healthy relationships based on intimacy, interdependence, internal world, and secure attachment provides a helpful way for you to help young adults assess how technology is impacting them. Let me see the time, we have time for Q&A or not? Like two minutes. Two minutes. OK, so excellent. You pass your cards if you want to draw. What Perfect. You to pass and then, any questions? They yes. yes. Questions? Thoughts? Reflections? I'm I'm yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, we have touched so, yeah. on how we're wearing out our pleasure center. Can yes. that be reversed too? Yes. Well, In time, the brain can change. And brain processes can be restored. That's the good news. The okay. brain is plastic. That's right. Oh no, I ruined my brain. There's no recovery. I'll never enjoy a sunset again. No, there's there's a way forward with abstaining from those over uh, from overstimulating the brain for a period of time that can be reset. Yes, okay. good news. Thank you. Yes. So my quick question is what's the best way to approach young people with this information? Because I would imagine there's a lot. Of Yes, I think you've got to start the conversation acknowledging ways that social media can be positive by the network of connections that are available, um, asking them questions. What has social media been like for you? What have you enjoyed and appreciated about it? To start a more neutral or even positive oriented dialogue before pointing out um, challenges. And another way forward, and hopefully less than a year from now, we'll have a module on this topic. Uh, so you can lead a six-week small group with young adults through this material through lecture, discussion, and activity. All right, thank you all so much for your attention and time. And it looks like. You're really-